Hey, what's going on? Welcome to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Canucks insider Thomas Drantz, who, of course, also writes about the Canucks at The Athletic. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com, and we are coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. It's a game day for the Canucks, Drance, but, I mean, come on. We all know what, what's really happening here. It's trade season. It is NHL trade season just over a week from the NHL trade deadline. And I don't know what this says about us, but we're, of course, of course, where else would we start? We're going to start with the big Nikita Zaitsev cap dump move from Ottawa to Chicago that went down yesterday afternoon. And you want to go there before we talk about Artur's Seelovs getting another start? We'll get into all that. But I, I honestly, look. I feel like we need like a, a name for the Seelovs fan group, <laughs> like the Seelovs Hive or something. Yes, because like I feel like people are getting excited. They are, uh, they're into it, man. They should be. We had quads on on Monday. Well, that he was, was like, a little much. <laughs> he, he was fired up. We got to book. We got to book more Quadrelli to represent Hive Loves. The Archer Seelovs. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's talk Zaitsev, because I think you're right. That is a massive trade. Now, I have an idea for how we can All right. go about this. Let's do it. Just tell me if it's if it sucks. I was thinking... I will do that. I was thinking, why don't we go glass half full, glass half empty? Okay. So you make the glass half empty, the, the negative spin on that trade from a Canucks perspective, and then I'll come back with the positive... All right, and we'll and we'll come down and say and and sort of decide and invite our listeners in the Dunbar Lumber and Lumbar text line um, to to decide who who is it a good thing like I, is there are there good things to take away from the Zaitsev deal from a Canucks perspective or is it very very bad? I'm surprised that you're taking on the uh, the glass half full <laughs> side side of this. Why sure. I'm delightful? Sure, I'll play along. I'll take on the glass half empty. Yeah, side. you're doing the so, glass half empty. Side. Okay, here off the top of my head. And and that that is true because you did not give me any warning about this, which is fair. That's no, that's no problem. So one, I gave you a little bit of warning. Well, not the specifics, but anyways, I don't care. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just just captioning it. You're um, you're able to do this. Come on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm sorry, I caught you so unaware. How unfair of me. <laughs> my first reaction is, if you're doing glass half empty, okay, the Canucks didn't make this deal. Right, Ooh. like the Canucks have cap space yeah. to work with. We're waiting for them to do it. This is the second deal now. When you think about the Ryan O'Reilly uh, being laundered through Minnesota, that the Canucks haven't been in on. Now, again, I'm doing glass half empty here. That's not like a pointed criticism. Obviously, only one team can get in on all of these deals. It's not always going to be you, but it's another opportunity that to potentially use some of that cap space to get assets that the Canucks didn't make the most of. And the other one I would say is. The Canucks, you know, the Canucks right now are in a position to try to be the Chicago in this situation and use some of the cap space they happen to have to get assets, but they also might have to be in Ottawa's position at some point in the near future, whether it's going into the summer, whether it's next year, as they desperately try to create more salary cap flexibility, and 
Ottawa had to pay, pay a pretty significant price to get off of Nikita Zaitsev, right? So those are the two, if you're looking for negatives, and I just want to be clear that Drance set me up to look for the negatives here. If you're looking for negatives from the Nikita Zaitsev deal for the Vancouver Canucks, that's what I see. What if you're not looking for negatives? Are, are you saying your takes aren't objectively fair and true? <laughs> I think those are fair. I think those are both fair takes. So, so it's not that you're trying to be negative. It's that you think that the Zaitsev deal is a warning shot for the Canucks about the cost of getting off Myers. But and I think there's also positives to take away from it, right? There's positives and negatives, which you're going to get into. I'm just saying, I was restricted to talking about the negatives by the you're by making the, rules the negative of this case. game. Yes, it's glass half empty, glass half full. Are you running like a sting operation on me or something? <laughs> I just can't believe I'm like I'm like you do the negative spin, and yeah. you're like I'm negative about that. You're like you're like I'm used to you being negative. Trans. That's right. Yeah, that's like, right. Well, I'm sorry. The free meal is over, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> Time to carry some of your own weight, bud. <laughs> uh, but anyways, that's how I see it. Okay, here's the positive case. All right, and I think it's compelling. Be it resolved that the Vancouver Canucks should look at the Nikita Zaitsev deal and see in it a massive opportunity. And by the way, not in my opinion a missed opportunity. Because if you have any appetite for Zaitsev to be added to the right side of this defense, God bless you, because I don't. Why not? What, you think you, you think they're going to challenge for the division next year, Drance? I'm way more interested in taking on a Mike Riley anyway. Okay, that's cause, fair. Because Mike Riley, first of all, they're not that far apart, right? Like, the, the cap hit difference is one and a half million, and the salary difference is only 500K, and it's actually less than that because... Riley makes an extra million prorated over the balance of the season. So the the difference in cash, like the cash is almost a wash. It's like 200K difference. So, you know, but Riley actually would help you address your mate. Like I have no appetite for another slow hitting it off the wall defensive piece on this Canucks blue line. Um, and I think there's other opportunities. Fact is, is that if Zaitsev is worth a second and a fourth, just to get off one year of his deal, then this is a massive opportunity, even for a relatively capped out team like the Vancouver Canucks, to add asset capital. Vancouver has two assets left, and that's it. That's it in terms of like meaningful stuff. Like, could you see Kyle Burroughs go for a seventh or something like that? Sure, right? Like, obviously, there's other things yeah. you could do if you were motivated enough to do them. But fundamentally, you're, you've got a Luke Shen trade to make, and you've got cap space to use. And you got to use it creatively, particularly given how poorly the season has gone and how asset poor, how how short on items of liquid hockey value this organization is. The Zaitsev deal sets a pretty high market price for taking on a bad deal, particularly one with term remaining. And considering that Vancouver has already been looking at folding Shen into bigger items, like, man, the Zaitsev deal, like that... That comparable being out there while the Canucks have both cap space and a desirable, basically free against the cap, veteran, right-handed, tough, Stanley Cup winning, defenseman, still to deal. Like, this is it. This is a huge, huge, can't-miss opportunity for the club. This has shaped up perfectly for Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin, with the exception of Shen's family complications yes. and the fact that ideally, for human reasons, you would have made this deal three or four weeks ago. That's that that that's and I don't want to downplay that on the negative side of the ledger. I think that matters, particularly when someone's as well respected as Shen. Particularly when there's potentially an idea of bringing him back to the organization totally at some point down the road. So 
That's the, that's the obvious downside. But man, there is a real chance staring this organization in the face. And, and, and I think that puts some pressure, like not to spin this positive into a negative, but I do think that should create some pressure to make more than a conventional trade deadline deal involving Luke Shen. Like I will, at this point, you know, Luke Shen for a third, you had to do it. Luke Shen for, you know, a third, a, a prospect and an additional draft pick because you're taking some bad money back. Like, oh baby, now we're now we're cooking now now we're sucking diesel. Mm-hmm. So that's what I want to see here. I think this is shaped up in some ways to be a unique opportunity that's played into Vancouver's hands over the short term. And just what we'll I, I do want to get into a little bit more about the downside here, not just because that was my uh, my role and, in and this because game. you and because you approached it with, so negative. You approached it with the sort of attitude that the Canucks had in November. <laughs> <laughs> like you were you were absolutely. Yeah. Arrogant. Only, well, no, just like, just like, that was a terrible back check. Like it's going oh, viral. How dare you? I it's did going, my job. It's going viral on Twitter I right now. I did my job. I did my job with a plum. I'm just saying, Rick Tockett thinks you need to keep your shift lengths shorter. <laughs> no, absolutely not. You know um, that Jamie Dom is really passionate. By the way, did you hear John McEnroe of all people talking about JT Miller's passion <laughs> no, on the I radio didn't. today? Come on, they, they asked him about it specifically, and, and he was like on it. <laughs> I don't know if he – I think they probably had to – I've only heard the clip. I think they probably had to set it up to him be like, hey, there's this guy named JT Miller who, you know, bangs his – crap, smashes his stick and stuff, and what do you think about that? But maybe we'll play John oh, McEnroe. McEnroe, I'm sure, it. loved it. Yeah, absolutely, right? Um, McEnroe was passionate. McEnroe was extremely, extremely yeah. passionate. Uh, but we will get into more about the, the potential downsides because there's some texts coming in that relate to that. But on the positives, the other thing is – like we're really getting into crunch time now for the contenders to open up that salary cap space. And we're in this weird holding pattern with it seems like every notable defenseman on the trade block right now where they're all being held out. And, you know, even Frank Saravelli on Halford and Bruff this morning was saying, not confirmed, but there were kind of rumblings last night that the Shen deal is maybe done, but just waiting on something else to happen first. We've heard that with Vladislav Gavrikov, you know, Jacob Chikrin, oh, is there a deal done? What's going on? It's like, Every NHL GM is just kind of waiting for some domino to fall, but they're not exactly sure what that domino is. I think it's a big... They've, like, they've like forgotten what they're supposed to be waiting for, but they're too embarrassed to admit it now. I think it's a big staring contest. But yeah, they're they're um, the first domino to fall on the, uh, on the defenseman trade market at the deadline's Godot, based on the timeline here. <laughs> yes, yeah. based on all the waiting yeah. going, going on. Hey, he had good numbers in the queue, that Godot. <laughs> that Godot, yes. Um... <laughs> But you're also starting to hear again. We talked about the Mike Riley and um, and Craig Smith from Boston. They're in a position where they need to uh, uh, they need to open salary cap space. I saw Frank Saravelli and his latest trade targets board included Kasperi Kapanen, and the intel was you know Pittsburgh has made it known that we need to get rid of his salary because hey we can't even activate Jan Ruda from LTIR right now given our salary cap situation. We all know what Jim Rutherford has thought about Kasperi Kapanen. In the past, that's an interesting one. There's there's these situations, and I think there's going to be more of them crop up over the next week here, where teams become really, really motivated to try to create that uh, salary cap space in a hurry, right? And so, I, you know, you look at the Zaitsev price, and it's pretty good, a second and a fourth, fourth and 2026, oh, 20, by the way. I, I, th- I mean, I think that's a great price. Yeah. Well done. But I wonder if you're a, like that's Ottawa doing it. Who knows what they have planned? Oh, that uh, I, it, Pierre Dorian, let him cook. Oh, if you don't think I'm excited about the upcoming Colton Pareko to Ottawa trade, 
that would have been i i wish i had done this when the deal was first announced but like the thanos what's he cooking <laughs> meme <laughs> pierre dorian yeah but except, um, except it's more like walter white but if you're like a real <laughs> what's, what's he cooking if you're a real contender like if ottawa paid that to get rid of nikita Zaza, how dare you to say set that up Ottawa's whatever not a real next contender. harebrained move they do oh it's gonna be so good if you're a real contender what are you are you gonna be even more motivated to clear that cap space and does the price actually go up between now and the deadline like i think there's a real possibility Oh man, I mean, if you if you get to a point of desperation, sure. But I also think, I also I, there's just so many unique opportunities, right? Like you yeah. look at the Maple Leafs and you see that Alex Kerfoot deal, and and you look at how they're you know deploying their lines in the wake of the Ryan O'Reilly acquisition, and you just gotta wonder, like, man, would they love to move that or what? Like they'd at least think about it, right? They'd at least think about it. Um, and and he's good. Like again, like Mike Riley, good player. Craig Smith, oh yeah, good player. And and I think you could retain half and flip him for value. Mm. I think there's a world where Craig Smith at three million, no one wants him. Craig Smith at one point five, you know, a, a team might be interested. Kerfoot, hundred percent, I think would follow. Oh, one point seven five for absolutely. for a really fast middle six winger who can play center if you need him. Yeah, I yeah, think, sure. That's that sounds appealing. And and. Up, up and down the lineup, like up and down the lineup of the best teams in hockey, there's somebody, Philippe Myers from the Tampa Bay Lightning, right? There, there's somebody. Um, all right, I got. I'm, I'm going to change gears entirely. Is hold on, hold idea? on. I want to. I wanted to read this text because I think it, it plays into what I was. Who saying won? About, who won our argument? Did anyone? Uh, I'm just going to say me. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to leave it up to me, if you're going to ask me who won the argument, sorry. If you're just going to ask me and let me answer, but I'm going to say I won. I don't know. You didn't weren't even invested. I think it's very <laughs> unlikely that you won. You hey, were, I was a lawyer. You Sometimes were... you have to argue cases that you don't fully believe in, right? Your training has not served you well. Did you skip that class? I skipped a lot of classes. <laughs> me too. I skipped a lot of classes. Me too. Buddy. And I was Let just a, and I was just an English major. Let me tell you. Um, uh, oh, hey. I want to read this one though. Okay. If we get another first, uns- this is unsigned. If we get another first, would you give up our two acquired first round picks to get off Oliver Ekman? Larson. How many picks? Two. Two first round picks. Yes. You do it in a heartbeat. But, no one else is doing it. But no. Like the answer is yes, but no. Right? You do it in a heartbeat if the thing stopping you from being a contender is the money invested in Oliver Ekman Larson. Well, but see, here's the thing though. I think let's say let's say, and I don't think it would even get it done, the two first round picks. Plus he has the no move clause, right? So it's it's not happening. But if you could, two first-round picks, not your own, right? So the Islanders pick and pick X that you somehow stumble Absolutely into. not. No. Can't you just, can't you? No. Nope. Don't you have the expectation, though, of immediately recouping a first-round pick with the salary cap space you open up for Oliver ekman Larson? But I, I don't, if I'm the Canucks, I don't have enough asset capital to even consider that. I'd way rather do a buyout, and that still frees me up with the cap space short-term, and I get to keep the extra first-round picks, which I'm desperate for. You know, like, yeah, and you I, have I, the potential to add another I, one. I, I mean, for the Canucks, like, so, so here's the thing about the Zaitsev deal that also matters. Like, one thing to remember is, like, what, what is the deadline fundamentally? Like, fundamentally, what is the opportunity at hand for buyers and sellers in this marketplace? It's, it creates this, this moment where the needs of the contenders are at such a pressure point that they're willing mm-hmm. to do things that they wouldn't at other times. Right. right? So, That's basically so it. It's a time sensitive yep. arbitrage opportunity, right? Where contending teams are willing to overpay for short term help and they are most likely 
to be willing to shed futures, things that don't matter for their team now. Like, what what do you say about a, a Ryan or the Ryan O'Reilly acquisition? Right? People say you added Ryan Ryan O'Reilly without subtracting from right. your roster. Right? Like that's the that's the mark of like a good contenders deadline trade. And so for teams that should be absent that competitive pressure, it's this opportunity to make value basically out of short-term assets that don't help you like that's fundamentally the market price place we're in and like the sort of opportunity there for vancouver um extends beyond this deadline the moment the moment you free yourself from that self-defeating win now desperation that has so often characterized this franchise's worst moves the moment you free yourself from that the opportunities to take advantage of other clubs that are feeling the strain of, of an Ottawa who now has cleared cap space of, I mean, go down the list. Like now you can find, you know, ways out of bad deals. Now you can find ways to recoup value. That's where the Canucks need to go. And they need to go there with discipline. This is what we've been saying for a while, but it really came into stark relief after the Zaitsev deal yesterday. The, the, the phrasing you use there as well, right? You're looking at it as you're trying to move assets that are purely short term and aren't going to do anything for you in the long term. We always think of expiring UFAs like that, right? Like, okay, they're going to play out the string here the last 20 games for you, and then they're going to be gone. But I think that's a good way to look at the temporary cap space they have here, right? There's only one way to get value out of that cap space. It's not even like a UFA where you're like, oh, well, maybe we can extend them and keep them around. Mm. Like That cap space is going away after March 3rd. There's nothing else productive you can do with it realistically after March 3rd. So it's either get value out of it now or poof, it's gone. Well, it's not even like you're rolling it in to next year, really, because so much of it is LTIR. I suppose waiver claims, like not to be, not to be pedantic here, but that's kind of what we do. Um, <laughs> I suppose there's waiver claims, and I suppose you could okay. like heavily load um, like one of the top college UFAs. Like you could give them like wild schedule A bonuses. I'll amend it to like far and away the most value you're going to get. Far and away, the, the just... opportunities to create value out of that cap space diminish rapidly and almost to zero after yeah. the trade deadline. Yeah, I just I just think at this point, like even if you return a second for Luke Shen or a third for Luke Shen, right? And it's like, hey, that's good, right? Like. No matter what, if you get a second or a third for Luke Shen, we're talking about like the asset management ideal, right? Mm. Get a guy, depth guy, third highest paid player at his own position the day you sign him. Build him, build him into something more than that. Build him into something with real cachet around the league. Deal him mm, and get I something agree for free. As well. Shallow and pedantic. Thanks, Peter. Hey now, hey. Um, I don't know that we're shallow. We referenced waiting for Godot. <laughs> um. But, uh, but you know, that's like the model of how it should work. So it's not like I'm going to crush them for that. But I do think this is one of those occasions, particularly given the circumstance this team falls finds itself in, where finding a way to do more, finding a way to be more creative than the simple future four-player structure mm. uh, of a deadline deal would really behoove Vancouver and, and that Zaitsev deal. Like, that's the model. That's the model of what you're looking for in my view. And this text comes in uh, based on what you're hearing. What is the likelihood that the Canucks do these sort of deals where they weaponize their cap space? I don't know if you're hearing anything well, on that. Obviously so, we can sorry. all look at the history of I, it. I don't want to, I don't want to put it as like, what's the probability of them weaponizing their cap space. I think the way to look at it is 
I think the Canucks, uh, I, the Canucks have definitely been actively looking at ways of folding a potential Chen trade into a larger sort of transaction. Now that can mean a lot of things. Like I, I heard Rick Dollywall on the radio yesterday, or sorry, on the on the television mm-hmm. set yesterday, uh, but I didn't hear him on that. I think I saw it on YouTube. Um, talking about the Canucks maybe taking a lesser pick but getting a prospect in addition. So that's one permutation. Um, attaching a less desirable contract to the Shen trade. Yep. Right? Maybe, I mean, I mean, if you retain, them, say, a million on Garland, so now a team's getting Shen and Garland and sending you back, Something. you know, four million, and it's sort of like a hockey-ish trade with a futures component. Like, I, I think the Canucks have absolutely, absolutely looked at stuff like that. Um, taking bad money back, being a broker, I have heard some whispers about it, but I haven't been able to confirm that that's something they're really actively exploring. But when I hear that the team's looking at all sorts of options to fold it into a bigger deal, and that I have heard, uh, that like you know is true. Uh, then I start to um, I I just assume that things like O'Reilly uh, mm. throw in from Boston or getting in on the Craig Smith thing. Um, you know, I, I just assume that that would be part of your set of considerations, even if it's not your primary goal. Which, which, by the way, I obviously think it should be the Riley one too. It makes so much sense because he could absolutely play for. Them he moves this. Pl- he, he, I, I, I'm not exaggerating, would, and I know people will get mad at me because he's in the AHL. I think he'd be this team's second best defenseman the day yeah, he was acquired. I was, I was going to say at worst he would be third behind Ethan Bear. I think at he's worst, the second be best behind. defenseman. Yeah. I, so, I do. I, I just do. Like, if they acquire Mike Riley, I guarantee he's going to come in and he's going to play a game and there's going to be this reaction where people are like, wow, Mike Riley looks pretty good out there. I mean, people are straining to be positive about Christian Willannon in his couple of games, right? Like, hey, he made a couple of really nice passes. We are starved, starved for the ability to move the puck here. If Mike <laughs> Riley comes... And he's actually hey. playing like a meaningful role in moving the pucks for this team next year. Then you can absolutely flip him at the deadline. If you watch, remember me about Wolanin at uh, at training camp. Yeah, like Wolanin. Wolanin is like a low end NHL level player, but I think he is an NHL level player. Not not like an everyday NHL level player. Sure, like the but, seventh defenseman. But you watch like you watch him pass the puck. You watch some of the details in his game. The way his head is always up, and it's just like, oh yeah, that's that's not AHL level. That's this guy's a bona fide NHL level, um, or at least NHL capable player. And so, yeah, I'm not surprised that he's. I had that reaction when I first saw him. Yeah, in but there's there's a difference between saying this guy's a good seventh defenseman and like the level of excitement when it's relative to what what the oh, man. Are typically is there really out. is there really excitement about Will Annan? I've seen some. I have seen some in wow. the wild. You I'll are you are lurking that. in dark dark <laughs> corners, my friend. That is a hundred percent a hundred percent accurate. Um, last thing. We got some good suggestions about what the Silovs yes. fan club should yes. be called. Um, Artie's Party. Mm-hmm. This is all from Dalvir V, by the way, and they're they're awesome. King Arthur's Knights of the Round Table. The the Silovs stands. Like that. I like that. The Silovs gang. None of these are good. Please read them anyway. By the way, I thought they were all good. King um, King Arthur's Knights of the Round That's Table. That's the best one. I love that one. <laughs> That's and, the best one. And I also got from a from a gentleman named Joseph on Twitter. Uh, Silovsophiles. Uh, Silovsophiles. Yeah, not feeling that one as much. It's a mouthful. Yes, I I, I like King, King Arthur's of the, the right table. Yeah, which makes which makes table. David Quadrelli Lancelot. <laughs> and so I'm here for that. Fantastic. Uh, all right, we're gonna take a break. Yeah, the Canucks play a game. Atu Ratu is gonna make his Canucks debut. We'll talk a little bit about that. It's coming up. You next. mean Atu Ratu? That's what I said, isn't it? Not quite. Okay. <laughs> what did I say? Atu Ratu. Oh, okay. Well, whatever. Come on. 
Come Batu on. Batu Ratu. Okay, fine. We'll talk about that. Anyways, <laughs> it's coming up next. Sports at 650. Hitting the most important topics for Vancouver sports fans. The People's Show with Vic Nazar. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650, live from the Kintech Studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver. Online at DunbarLumber.com. NHL trade deadline coverage is brought to you by Maui Gym Sunglasses. Born on the beaches of Hawaii, Maui Gym Sunglasses are designed with polarized plus two lenses that protect eyes from harmful rays and enhance the view. Try on a pair and see for yourself. Lots of uh, Archer Silov, like fan supporter section names coming in. Uh, Silovites. Silovites, which I like. I mean, it sounds like a revolutionary group that we should probably that yes. we should probably crack down on. <laughs> wow, okay, <laughs> authoritarian trance over here. Well, Got to put the boot down on these guys. I'm just on saying, Silovites. Yeah, like I'm I'm not here for that Silovite ideology. <laughs> David Quadrelli is a dangerous, dangerous man. He is. He's a radical thinker. Yeah. Uh, so there's that one. We I love mean, Silovs by the seashore. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's getting a little. You know, you're a less esoteric. You're here. out on that. Yeah, I think I'm out on that. I haven't seen anything that uh, that tops um, King Archers and the Knights of the Round Table yet. Uh, I did love uh, just the Silovians. Silo- that's like what Don Taylor would call them the Silovian one, right? The Silovian, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. he would. You're right. Which which I enjoy. I I mean, I enjoy Don Taylor as a kid who grew up watching Don Taylor highlights. I, yeah, that uh, that one gets me. I enjoy Don Taylor, but his shtick, eh. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Don Taylor's the best. You're, I love how you're like always looking for new ways to do a heel turn <laughs> to, to tick off our listeners. Like, come out against Don Taylor's highlight wow, stick. I would never do that. <laughs> I, 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 I legitimately watch it every every day they post it too. Yeah, it's great. It's super fun. There's, there's, there's a reason he's a he's a legend. Man. It's, it's, it's like, um, it's like ordering a a triple O burger. You know, like, there's just something about it that, like, reminds me of being seven. And I'm like, where's my chocolate coin? <laughs> where's my pirate pack? Yeah, it's like, it's like, yeah, watching Don Taylor do hockey highlights is like eating a grilled cheese from a pirate ship. <laughs> <laughs> just just speaks to a certain part of me. Uh, anyways, <laughs> enough of that. Yeah. Uh, the Canucks play game tonight. And Drancer, this is a big game, man. This is nope. a big game. Nope. The the no, Arizona Coyotes laid down the gauntlet with their tanking efforts last night, taking a 3-1 lead despite getting brutally outplayed and then collapsing and losing 6-3. Okay. Can- Canucks got to find a way to match that type of effort, man. The-, the Blues are collapsing. They're spiraling. They've lost three in a row. Got to fend off them and well, their attempts. And they've really hollowed out their roster. They really have, although they do have a couple bodies Plus, we'll returning. Plus, we'll see if Colton Pareko's on his way to... Uh, <laughs> to Ottawa? To, to the nation's capital. Well, to Canada, anyway. Yeah, I By, believe um, uh, Saad and Bujnevich both could return to the lineup tonight, ooh. it looks like. So that gives them some reinforcements. Because without those guys in, it has been very, very thin. 
uh, especially up front for the St. Louis Blues after trading O'Reilly, after trading uh, Vladimir Tarasenko. No, look, I mean, obviously, I'm I'm very much tired. Canucks are only plus 100. Oh, yeah, no, the Blues are re- have been really bad. No, actually. I know they have, yeah. but I mean, minus 120 at home faves. Against the Canucks. Against the Vancouver Canucks? That tells you all you Starting need to know. Starting a rookie goalie? About where the Blues are right now. Oof. Yeah, it's really tough. So this is uh, this is easy, uh, a dangerous game, a very dangerous game uh, for um, for the Vancouver Canucks. But look, can can I? I I'm, I'm sorry. This is going to be the most out of left field digression. Go for it. From I'm on, on a program that often has. Them. I'm excited. But I've been thinking a lot about the NHL trade deadline. Sure. Oh, really? I have. Have you? I have. And so this is a non-Canucks take that I just want to discuss. You ready for this? Always. Timo Meyer. Uh-huh. I'm really curious to see if teams acquire him not with the view that like an extension is a priority. Okay, so one thing that's interesting about acquiring players who are on expiring deals at the deadline is that if you acquire them with a plan to keep them long term, the moment you acquire them, you're kind of over a barrel. Unless mm. you have an extension worked out ahead of time. And often even then. So the Bo Horvat trade. Yeah, Islanders and Bo Horvat. Like the Bo Horvat. And, and look, I'm a big fan of Bo Horvat the player. I'm, I'm really happy for him. But that contract's going to age terribly. Like we would have crushed the Canucks for doing a deal like 100%. That. And I think they handed Horvat and Newport Sports, uh, Newport, his, his Newport Sports agent Pat Morris like a ton of leverage when they did that deal. Meyer's a particularly tricky one from the perspective of an acquiring team because he's got this massive $10 million QO qualifying offer this summer. So, you know, signing him, I think, could prove difficult. Here's the advantage, though. Meyer's value today on his current contract versus Meyer's as a trade ship, either qualified or before, this offseason following a playoff run. What, what, like... Percentage wise, how much do you how much how much devaluation is the acquiring team even looking at? Not a lot. Twenty percent? Yeah. Fifteen percent? I, I think that's one of the reasons that we've heard uh Carolina so heavily involved, right? Like they're a mm. team that's willing to take more of a creative approach to an asset like Timo Meyer. The thing with Timo Meyer is he's good enough that even if he was a pure rental, teams would still be lining up to pay a big price. Because he's a needle mover. Yeah. In a, in a market where oh, he's not, a top line player. Where there's not a lot of those guys left, if any. Right, he is the guy that's going to actually change how things look for you. So there's that. Like you're getting the talent, but then as you said, well, you can probably turn around and trade him at the draft. If you talk to, if you have, uh, if you have extension talks with him and you don't like where the price is, you don't think it makes sense. Especially if you're a team that wins a couple rounds, right? Oh, with Timo and Meyer, he plays well. Yeah, with Timo Meyer in your top six and I, doing things. I still for don't you. think his value would go up. Because ten million dollar QO and arbitration rights is just like a really. I don't think big it would go headache. up. But it's not. It doesn't become an anchor. Or anything no, no. Like You're it, I still think you some could. What you get. I still think you could trade it for positive value. And so I'm. I'm sort of looking at that and wondering. You know. And and I think it's interesting that you brought up the Carolina Hurricanes mostly because I think the stylistic fit would just be so fun. Like mm-hmm. just a big bodied, skilled winger. Like you know them going with high work rate wingers. Um, guys like. Svechnikov and um, Seth Jarvis and and on and on down the line. Like, that sounds fun. Like, that just sounds fun to me. Uh, So, anyway, I'm just wondering about Meyer as a, like, non-rental rental rental 
with with teams being like, okay, we've traded for you. Here's eight times eight. If you don't sign it, we're going to trade you yeah. after the run. And that's fine, by the way. Just like play your guts out and earn a ton of money, and we'll send you somewhere good. Yeah, we'll send you somewhere where they're, they're going to give you a ton of money. Right, and because you can agree to the extension beforehand, you're going to have some say. So it's like, welcome to your informal no-trade clause. Let's go win a cup together. Yeah, and the Meyer but one... But also here's $64 million, please take it. <laughs> the Meyer one is going to be fanta- uh, fascinating because, as I said, he is clearly the... He's the guy who's going to move the needle more than anybody else left on the trade market. And we were talking about waiting for the dominoes on the defenseman market to fall. I think it's going to be really fascinating to see how teams react. The teams that miss out on Timo Meyer react and what they do, right? And right. who they go to because it's just it gets pretty slim pickings after that, right? Like it's like, okay, James Van's Re- James Van Riemsdyk. That's not that much of a consolation prize if you're swinging no. and missing on Timo Meyer. No. So I don't know what's going to happen there, but I think it's going to be well, uh, and we'll a see fascinating if, one to watch. And we'll see if that opens up options for the Canucks with Brock Besser and company. That, but that, that's uh, to the degree that I've been optimistic about Besser, and really it's just more optimistic than you are. It, a lot of it hinges on well, team misses out on Meyer, and then they get motivated. And I'm not saying it's like, not going to happen. Oh, like, no, I, I want to be you're clear. Just, you're just, but I'll be gobsmacked. No, I'll be gobsmacked if it does. I'll be like, I'll be genuinely. I'll I'll be um I'm looking for like a plus two sixty. I'll be as surprised. Well, no, I wouldn't be that surprised if the Ducks beat the Washington Capitals. The Washington Capitals aren't good, eh? No. It's amazing how quickly time can come for you in the NHL. And uh, they're another team that's kind of a surprise. Not surprise now, but they're they're into sell mode probably. Well, and and th- I mean, if they sell a Nick Jensen. Like, to me, that's... You love your uh, Washington Capitals defenseman. Well, I like him and Orlov a ton. Don't but you I like still... uh, Farivari, too? I like Farivari. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, so that's three right there. Yeah, I mean, but they've kept that team afloat, even though they've, like, become extremely slow and stodgy and not particularly good up front, mm. particularly in the extended absences of Tom Wilson and Nick Backstrom and company, right? Like, it's been pretty impressive to watch their two-way guys kind of carry the weight. For a team that just doesn't have a ton of drivers up front. There's not a lot of teams built like that anymore. Also, just looking, this is a complete digression. We're on a total tangent now, but just looking at Washington We're as deadline. they come up. Yeah, sure. It's all under the deadline umbrella. Uh, that's the other great thing about deadline time is you can just talk about anything and fold it into well, the deadline umbrella. Hey, and there's nothing like talking about things around the league on a Canucks game day this season, yeah, right? Like, but, uh, let's go. What else are you going to do? Talk about other Atu than, Ratu. Other than, we'll, we'll get into it. Other than John Carlson. The Capitals don't have a single defenseman under contract next year. They're all either UFAs or RFAs at the end of the season. That's pretty remarkable. For a team that, as much as they might be selling right now, they're not rebuilding, right? They still want to be good while Alex Ovechkin is there and chasing the record. So they're going to have to do something uh, to address that in the offseason. But that's incredible. They're all expiring in one way or another uh, after this year, except for John Carlson. Um, Chet and Burnaby, by the way, points out that if any contender in the West manages to get Carlson, they're playing in the Stanley Cup final, in his opinion. I think that's a good take, right? Like, Meyer and Carlson. I think that probably does need to be captioned. There's one other guy having a historic season, uh, making a Norris-level impact who could be available. Yeah, I just... How much have we talked about how difficult it is to move guys with money in term? Yeah. And I get it helps, when they're playing like he is, right? When he's the nor- front runner for a major yeah, trophy. He's going to be a Hall of Fame player. 100%. Look, I'm not saying it can't happen, but someone, again, someone that's a really, really difficult trade to make in season. Edmonton should do that. I don't know. I don't really see the case for anyone else. But I agree. Like, Edmonton has this short window on these McDavid Dreisaitl deals. Like, you can't be hoarding and waiting for Xavier Bor- Borgo to develop. 
reminds me. What? Waiting for Burgo. <laughs> call back to the first segment there. Yeah, well, while well, Dee and Gogo, you know, at 21.5 combined, you know, set historic power play rates, uh, scoring rates, and, and, you know, barely get out. They still haven't won a game in the third round with those two players. It's unacceptable. Yeah. I, I completely agree. I would just be pretty surprised if it happens. They should do it. I agree with no argument. I, sorry, no I agree. Argument I would here. also be surprised, but it should be a no-brainer all day. Make it happen. We all deserve to see the Hyman, Ryan Nugent, Hopkins, Dreisaitl, McDavid, Eric Carlson power play. Like we Sounds all deserve that. Sounds pretty good. Come on. Not to mention like Eric Carlson hitting Connor McDavid in stride through the neutral zone. Ew. Let's go. Yeah. Let's go. I'm getting hyped. Three on three. Dreisaitl, Carlson, McDavid. Sounds good. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, look, I watch McDavid play on television like 30 times a year just because he's amazing. Oh, yeah. But like. Yeah, I would love to. I would. Well, I would. That number might go to fifty. Um, when? When? How long to, before people start calling me an Oilers fan? <laughs> no, it's never they, gonna happen, is it? Maybe they'll enter your top three behind the Panthers. I think the they'd least. have to be. They'd have to be well run enough for me to say like that's a model. Right. Right. For like, you to really start talking about yeah. it. Yeah. Um, before we get this back on track, uh, this unsigned text comes in. Sounds like the Capitals are in need of Tyler Myers to bring some stability and cost certainty to their back end for next season. Uh, ever, ever optimistic from from our text. Hey, I love it. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm I like Myers as a guy, so I don't want to. I didn't want to, you know, make the easy joke, which is like I don't think there's anybody in need of Myers, but woof. And also. Uh, the Zaitsev, I don't know if we connected this explicitly, but the Zaitsev comparable and what it t- cost Ottawa to oh, get well, off is pretty it, instructive. What does for it mean Tyler for Myers. OEL? Yeah, we talked about it, right? Like it, people are actually going to cut two first round picks. Does that get it done? Probably not. Probably not. No, I, no, it doesn't. Okay, game day between the Canucks and the Blues. How do I say it? Atu Ratu? Is that closer? Ah uh, ah. Uh. So the ah sound that you gotta okay, get. Sure. Anyways, he makes his Canucks debut tonight. Uh, he'll be skating with Sheldon Dries and Vasily Podkolzin. Archer Silovs starting in net again. Uh, Riley Stillman out, which suggests that Guillaume Brisebois will be in. He was called up as well, and obviously with Luke Shen out, um, the Canucks have seven available defensemen. So if Stillman out, that means the rest of them are going to be in the lineup. But just one other thing, update from Rick Tockett today. This was per uh, Sportsnet's Dan Murphy. Update on Thatcher Demko. Tockett saying that he still needs a couple of good, hard practices before playing. And as Murph notes, uh, the Canucks really only have one practice scheduled in the foreseeable future. That's tomorrow on Friday. Uh, They only have one practice scheduled before their game against Dallas on Monday. So you're probably looking... After that Dallas game, which would put it maybe Thursday, March 2nd against Minnesota for Thatcher Demko to get into a game. So still potentially three games here before uh, we see Thatcher Demko in the crease. But, I mean, really, with what's happening this Canucks season, if you're going to be watching this game tonight, you're probably doing it mostly to get a look at Atiratu, right? And see what he looks like. Yeah. And my advice would be keep your expectations pretty tempered, right? This is a guy playing his first game with a new team who hasn't exactly hit the ground running uh, at the AHL level since he's joined this organization. Yeah, there's upside there. There's talent. There's all that. But still, be careful. But I'm also very curious to see what he looks like, to see how he's used, how he fits with Vasily Podkolzin and Sheldon Dries. And 
more than anything, just kind of what deployment he gets, what he's asked to do by Rick Tockett uh, and the coaching staff in his first game. The speed I'm most interested to watch, like, uh, you know, yeah. I, I hope I get a chance to watch him play uh, an extended run of games here, which I will at the AHL level uh, down the stretch regardless. But, um, you know, I, a lot of people wonder about whether or not his speed will play in the middle of the ice. And uh, everyone knows, or all our listeners know, I love to watch a guy play uh, for 10 games or so and then be like, they're not a center or they're a winger. Like, I, I love, those are my favorite types of takes. So there's a lot of people who I whose opinions I value, who think he's going to be a winger long-term. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be an, you know, a tough sort of thing. For, like I, Ideally, you're at least looking at a third-line center for this team for a while here. Well, I, I think they clearly acquired him with the mind that this strengthens our organizational depth at center. Totally, we but they also, center. they also acquired Studnika with that in mind. So, sure. you know, we'll see. They signed JT Miller with that in mind. Not, not, not that, like, I don't think they are able to do it, just like... Your best laid plans. Right. right? We're going to keep this guy at shortstop. You know, five years later is gold glove second baseman. Right. Yeah. Like that's just the nature of pro sports and the and the highest leverage positions. They're really hard. So we'll see. Um, but that's sort of going to be the main thing that I'm looking for here. I, I'd, I'd caption this, though, like Ratu looks like an NHL player in terms of his size. This isn't like a young guy coming up who's mm. not – um, built like an NHL or like he's going to look like an NHL player and he definitely has hands and some skill and can do some things. So, um, you know, he might impress a little bit. I, I wouldn't be shocked if he has a pretty good game. Yeah, I think it, that's a good way of putting it, right? The skating is the question mark, but his hands and his ability to make plays, that's kind of his strength. So if he does get put in a position where, you know, he finds a little open uh, open space in the offensive zone, I could see him doing some pretty impressive things. I think the question is, how does his skating hold up at the NHL level in particular? And, you know, the, the the details and the structure and the value plays and all those things that Rick Tockett has been emphasizing, right? And I know Rick Tockett said today, like, hey, my what I've heard about him is he's a good 200-foot player, good all over the rink. So that's something else to watch as well. Uh, I just need to read this text because yeah. it's genius. Better yet, impersonate Mike Greer and offer Myers for a team desperate for Meyer. You got to get creative in this cap league. It's like, oh, so it's a three-team deal? Like, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Just call the league right now and say it. Hey, wouldn't it be the Shake first? Shake on it. Do it. Honestly, Sharks, Canucks, Sharks, Canucks, like missed connections trades. Um, you know, do you remember the BX one? Yeah. Where where Absolutely. the where they they had an agreement with the Sharks for to trade BX to San Jose for a second round pick, but then they're they get on the trade call and it turns out there's a misunderstanding about what year the second round pick is. Deal falls apart. Awesome. Awesome. It happens. Um by the way, the uh I, we were unsure about how far in advance you could trade picks. Mm-hmm. And I noticed on Cap Friendly it only shows a team through 2025 yeah, yeah. right now, so I was wondering if that was like Is that the rule? Well, no, because uh the Blackhawks got 2026. 2026. So yeah. at least 2026, which means you can start going after Gavin McKenna right now. Oh, my you goodness. You can start getting those unprotected 2026 first-round picks in the Gavin McKenna draft I would love, right now. I would love to see a team get a first that just, like, keeps rolling over yeah. ad nauseum. It would be so good. It would be amazing. Uh, and, by the way, uh, our guy Gavin McKenna officially broke the Canada Games record for the most points in a tournament tournament in men's men's hockey now. So he's doing it, man. It's, it's all happening. 
Oh, this is definitely a thing. And and but we're so far away. Like we haven't even we haven't even begun our hyping up of M- Macklin Celebrini. No, you've begun that. That's not fair. I've started that. You've a hundred percent begun hyping up Macklin Celebrini. Okay, good. How many times have you brought him up? So many times. You've been hyping him up. Don't worry. Okay. Maybe maybe you think you haven't done him. Have I have I done him justice? Have I been hyping? Have I been hyping James Hoggins up enough? No, that's the first I've heard of that. Really? That is the first I've heard his name. The fast guy. I've talked to you about him. (laughs) Maybe I don't know. (laughs) Listen, buddy, I tune you out sometimes. All right, you and everybody else. Just a list of. Of 2025 and later NHL draft prospects coming at me. I gotta, I gotta do some filtering, right? I can't remember Super everyone. Reasonable. Super is can't remember everyone that you throw at me uh, at this point. 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Uh, this one came in. I don't really understand the line of Ratu with Besser and Dries. I believe it's going to be Ratu, Dries, and Pod Colson. Uh, not so they're playing Besser. him on the wing. Uh, that's we don't have anyone there to kind of do the line tweets, but that's what it looks like. That's what I would guess with Sheldon Dries there as well, right? Kind of, which makes sense. Ease him into his. It makes NHL sense, debut. but I, I don't think Sheldon Dries. So I like Sheldon Dries a lot. I sort of look at him and think, hey, look, could this guy be an everyday fourth line wing? And you know, I mean, he's going to score ten goals this year, like in the NHL. Mm-hmm. Um. He's been pretty good through the neutral zone. Like, I just don't think he's a third-line center, and that's no – like, I'm t- I'm saying I think there's a chance he's an everyday NHL player. So this is like praise for Sheldon Dries. Mm-hmm. But I th- I don't think you do him any favors, and I don't think you do his line mates any favors when he's your third-line center. I just think that's too much to ask from a guy who, in t- you know, going into the season would have been described as, like, quad-A depth. I think he's shown that he's an NHL player, and he's got kind of tough – you know, he can fight a little bit. Like, there's a lot to like there. He can help you on a special teams unit. But but I really, like, I'd like to see, if you're if you're playing Sheldon Dries, I'd like to see him stick at fourth line wing. And if you're playing Atu Ratu, I would like to see him play at center with, like, as good a defensive support as you can, as you can manufacture. Which, you know, not, not particularly There's not easy, a lot going on there, yeah. But there are guys who, who could fill in. I wonder if they kind of ease him into the lineup for the first time at wing, but then in a couple games we see him at center. If you're using this as the the you know proverbial fact finding opportunity for Rick Tockett, I do think you got to go to look at him well, at center at some point. It's going to be interesting because if you're if you're they're going to have to next season they're going to have and we'll talk about this more all summer, but like they're going to have to design, you know, if Atu Ratu is going to be one of your bottom six centermen, first of all, like then you're really asking a lot of. Curtis Lazar to be like the answer on the PK that he wasn't this season mm-hmm. or Neil Zaman, right? Because I don't think you're going to want to throw a 21 year old into that role. And like, you really got to figure out like, who's his Dorset? Who's his like reliable line mates with some experience that are going to put him in a position to, you know, maximize who he can be? Like, that's sort of, you know, that's going to be a big one for the Canucks to address, particularly because I still think they're going to need to do that too with Vasily Potkols. Well, there, there's, we can talk about this more because we got to take a break here. But their center this depth is summer topic. and how they and how they shape things around their centers and what those centers look like is going to be really fascinating going into next season. And there's not and, a lot of obvious answers, and now. whether they're centers. Yes, exactly. Right. <laughs> there's not a lot of obvious answers at that position. But yeah, we'll save that for the summer. Up next, Shayna Goldman. We always love chatting to her uh, from the Athletic and the Too Many Men podcast. She joins the show. It's Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650.
Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650 with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drance. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Your Kubota All-Star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, now, very pleased to be joined, as we always are when she's on the show, uh, by Shana Goldman of The Athletic and the Too Many Men podcast. Shana, thanks as always for taking some time to chat with us. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's our pleasure. Uh, this is a uh, one of my favorite times of year because there's so many rumors and reports and actual trades flying around. And, you know, one of the things we've seen over the last couple of days is is almost purely salary cap accounting types of deals happen. And the one I want to start with, and you have a really good piece up at The Athletic kind of covering it from all angles, is the Shea Weber contract going to Arizona, uh, Dyson Mayo going the other way, Arizona getting a fifth-round pick as well. And, you know, we're so used to seeing these LTIR, LTIR contracts go to contenders so they can kind of create that extra salary cap flexibility above the upper limit. Obviously, Arizona is not in that situation. Why? What attracted Arizona to that type of deal? Yeah, Arizona needs to hit the cap floor. Every team has to try to hit that, and it's going to go up by about a million next year. Uh, so that's the challenge they face right now. Uh, 26% of their contracts are contracts that aren't technically active. You have Brian Little's contract, Andrew Ladd, and Shea Weber, and Little was another contract they acquired for the same exact reason. So when the cap floor was up next year, and presumably when they're without a couple key contracts that they have, you know, it's the Nick Bukestad contract that could be gone, Jacob Chikrin, and who knows what else they have to move if, you know, Vamelka's on the block. We've heard, it, it seems like everybody in Arizona is up for grabs. Anyone we thought was a core player actually isn't. I don't think they know who their next core is. They're hoping it's around Connor Bedard. So as they move out salary, they have to find a way to bring it in. And there's only so many, you know, low-end players that you can have on your roster. You can only have so many players making minimum salaries. that you have to find a way to get you to that point. And some would say this is salary cap circumvention. And in a way it is. But is it the kind that's going to actually make anybody mad like it would when a contender does it? I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting. I, to me, it's not so much about the, you know, idea of, cap circumvention because I always look at it look if it's in the rules then teams should pursue it if they think it helps them and if the NHL doesn't like it they should change the rules and make it so they can't my concern is more just retroactively with penalties included yes sure in the case of the Canucks my concern of the Arizona situation is more you know we can applaud in some ways the way they're collecting assets and the way they're building for the future but I think it's just kind of a tough look for the league to have, as you said, more than a quarter of their salary expenditure tied up in guys who are never going to play for them. And then we're talking about, you know, they're trying to trade a few of the good players that they do have on their roster to uh, to bring their salary costs down even more. It's not so much about the circumvention for me as much as it is just it's kind of tough for the to for the league to have a team that is so uninterested in being competitive right now. Yeah, I completely agree. And like, to their credit, Andrew Ladd, they acquired, it was a salary dump, but he played for them. He just happened to get hurt again. You know, Brian Little mm. and Jay Weber, they knew exactly what they were doing. And it's really tough, too, from the perspective of, like, everything the league's done for the Canucks, if you think about it. Everything they've uh, I'm sorry, for the Coyotes. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> the Canucks, what? Uh, 
<laughs> two dumpster fires. Totally different <laughs> situations. My mistake. Um, you'd think everything they've done for Arizona to be like, no, no, this is a franchise we want to keep here. We're not moving them. And for the fans of Arizona, I truly feel bad for them because there are passionate fans there and they deserve a ton better. But you think about it, if you're the league and you're constantly defending it and this is the result they give you, sure, they, do, they don't have to sell a ton of tickets and everything's different because they're at a college arena. But they could try to maximize it, pump up the vibes, try to make it good and, and make a fun team out of it. And it would attract players because there's a new arena on the way. Like there could be some hope on the horizon if they poise the team on the ice to be that way. Instead, it's a perpetual rebuild after perpetual rebuild, maybe one or two competitive seasons and then here we go again. Even core players like Clayton Keller, you have to feel for because they sign these long-term contracts and are they just going to be wasting away on a team that has no intentions to compete anytime soon? Because it feels like every time another player comes around, a Connor Bedard-like player, the Coyotes are in the mix for it. You know, at what point do they get that foundational player that they finally truly build around because they've missed the boat on the ones they've already had? Shana. Have we? I'm thinking about the Zaitsev deal and then the Dyson Mayo deal, right? We had two trades in quick succession by both the Coyotes and the Chicago Blackhawks that made me wonder: Are we in a new era of? I don't want to call it tanking because it's too negative. I'm going to call it <laughs> rebuilding in the NHL. Uh, I guess so. I mean, it's it's like every trend gets recycled, right? We could talk about fashion. We could talk about anything like flare jeans and low-rise jeans are back. We've seen this before. So it feels like that's where we are with the NHL right now. The Chicago Blackhawks are the flare jeans and low-rise jeans of the NHL because they're tanking like the way we saw the Pittsburgh Penguins do it, you know, not that many years ago. That's what's back. And it seemed like for a minute teams weren't doing it. We saw the Sabres obviously pick it up when it was the Conor McDavid conversation. And here we are once again. It's like another level of tanking. Can the league do anything to avoid it? I'm sure they can try. But, you know, it's not like the Blackhawks aren't acquiring players. They're acquiring Mm. just some of the worst players. And for them, too, you're going to have the conversation of having to hit the cap floor. When the Jonathan Tate's contract expires and Patrick Kane, whether it expires or he just moves elsewhere, that's a lot of money coming off their salary cap, and they don't have too many contracts next year. The Seth Jones contract only weighs down the cap oh so much there. They need more players to do it. The Coyotes thing is interesting to me because to what extent is our, like, reaction, and I think not just our reaction, like, I think widespread reaction to this is, like, a real cry and shame, shaped more by what's come previously than sort of what we've seen from this particular hockey ops group. Yeah. It, 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 you know, that it, that's true. And it's unfortunate because it's not necessarily their fault for what you know, what everyone did before them. It's the same thing with any other team. Like, you can't look at the Penguins and be like, well, you know, previous management management did this. It doesn't matter. It's new management. It's a different ball game. But in such a short time, it's been so less than inspiring. And obviously, like, the ownership conversation is different from the management conversation and what's gone on in Arizona. But it all culminates to the same thing. And that's a lot of bad and a lot of disappointment. So... It's tough, you know, maybe they can find a way to turn it around and truly do it and build something sustainable. It's tough because you have to, players have to want to go there. 
And that applies to draft picks as well. They have to want to play there or the Coyotes simply can't pick them or they're going to find themselves in an even worse situation where they lose a player for nothing or have to trade their rights or anything like that. They have to draft players who want to be there. It's hard to make it a place players want to be if there's no bright spot for the future. And I think this management group does need to like redefine themselves and show that they're different from years past to change things, but they're not doing a very good job of it right now. And, you know, they could only do so much with the cards that they were dealt, but it's still disappointing nonetheless, right? Yeah, and I think the interesting contrast between Arizona and Chicago, one, as you said, like Chicago actually is acquiring players, you know, most recently Nikita Zaitsev, not one who's going to help them win, but a real player who's going to step on the ice. And I think it's also different when it comes after, you know, an extended run of being competitive and winning. Okay, it's one thing to take a step back then, whereas you said with Arizona, it just seems to be this perpetual rebuild that never ends. And, you know, looking at the Nikita Zaitsev deal, look, teams are always able to do well uh, when they're able to take on bad contracts or contracts that other teams don't want and get assets in return. But we've heard so much about how difficult it is to move money right now around the league. Are teams with cap space even set up better than they have been in the past, given the the flat cap and just the general environment to really uh, collect some assets ahead of the deadline here? Yeah, absolutely. And to your point on the Blackhawks doing this after years of winning, I think that they can take solace in the fact that teams like the Kings you know, went through this process recently and the Rangers did. And obviously they don't have the winning to show for it, but they had the playoff years to show for it. The Devils, like things are turning around, even though you could say the Devils was a little bit more extended. You know, here's the bright spot. Here's something that you can take solace in. We're doing this to, you know, to get to that point. So it's different than the Coyotes. But I think teams have a way to weaponize their cap space more than ever with the flat cap, with the environment of the last couple of years. Absolutely. I wonder if this sets the bar for what the price is going to be. Here's a second and a fourth round pick to take on your bad contracts. Um, I, I, I really would be curious because a lot of contenders aren't going to be able to afford that if that's the case. Not all of them have the second and the fourth to throw out with a bad contract. They need those to bring in the good players too. And if they're a team that's been contending for some time, they're going to be low on assets. A team like the Islanders say they don't have a ton to work with. A team like the Penguins might not want to dedicate so much to one bringing in players, two moving out players. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens, but ideally teams make the most of it. You should see teams like Arizona and Chicago, yes, but also the teams like Minnesota. They have a ton of cap space this year. We saw them get involved with the Ryan O'Reilly trade. Mm. It seems like the Red Wings and the Sabres, who are, you know, those fringe teams in the playoff conversation, they have the cap space to weaponize. I'm sure the Red Wings could make something happen with that. So I'm really intrigued to see if it's, you know, something we start to see. Every general manager in this league, I think, has to work harder and get smarter and get more innovative and get more creative. And this is a good test for it. And yes, everyone might say, oh, it's impossible within these bounds. Other teams can make it happen. You just have to find a way to be better at it and to to look at things differently. And this season, you know, poses that opportunity with so many teams with open cap space to, you know, to leverage. The Canucks are one of those teams, right? Like this, this team has, you know, so I, I think cap friendly currently has them at about 6.75 in uh, LTI space remaining, but obviously, uh, you know, one of that, some of that money is being taken up by Luke Shen who will be dealt. So it's probably more like seven, five. And obviously they could get creative and, and push it, push it even higher if they wanted. Um, in your view, considering Vancouver's needs, like how vital is it? that they do more than a standard or conventional 
deadline sellers deal involving Luke Shen? Like, in your view, if you were looking at the Canucks, how how strongly would you advise that they find a way to lump uh, their cap flexibility into any deal to sort of juice their return further? Yeah, absolutely do that. Like, the Canucks are in a, a, a tough position because I feel like no matter which way they proceeded, whether it was tearing it down, slightly retooling, or trying to run with the team they have, it, it's a losing position because they put themselves in such a bad spot and because there's been, it's so reactionary regardless of what they do. And sometimes when you hear management speak, it doesn't make life any easier for anybody. So uh, if they can be creative, that's the way to do it. And we see teams overpay for depth defensemen all the time. We saw it last year with Sherratt, with Jeremy Lazan. We saw that. So if the Canucks can play it smart and not just leverage the fact that they have a defenseman that a lot of teams are going to want, right, wrong, or sideways, they have a defenseman a lot of teams want, and figure out a way to get really crafty with it, why not? There are so many teams right now that want to add at the deadline, but they only can do that if they move cap out. So why not use that to your advantage if you're Vancouver and try to bring back anything you can because the more you bring back and the quicker you do it, the more you expedite the process. And we see teams like the Blues right now trying to do that. They don't want a a full-blown rebuild. They want to take what they can, flip it quickly, and turn this thing around. So why not take notes and try to go with that? What do you expect from St. Louis, by the way, the Canucks opponent tonight? Do you think they're going to be able to get off one of these defensemen? I'm I'm interested. I think I think teams are going to like Colton Pareko, and the question is, do they want to part with him? Um, and there's reason to say they should. There's reason to say they shouldn't. I think the fact of the matter is, Colton Pareko wasn't really put in the best position to succeed in St. Louis the last couple of years because he was made the de facto number one when they left Alex Petrangelo and didn't properly replace him. And they really never gave him a partner that was good enough to balance out his strengths and his weaknesses to make a, a really high-end top pair. They gave him Marco Scandella at times. They gave him Nikola at times because Scandella couldn't handle it. It just never worked out. I wonder if they can find a way to maximize his value in the sense that he's what a lot of teams want. They want size. They want strength. They want a heavy shot. They want someone who's tough and can eat those minutes. And if teams can look at it and go, he's a product of his environment and he'll be better elsewhere, I think they'll benefit a ton as long as they're willing to part with him. And if they can spice it up and go for someone like Chickering instead, I think it would be really, really intriguing. Like, this is, they could be that sleeper team. I think St. Louis and Detroit are the two teams I'm watching as, like, the sleeper teams of the deadline right now. I think Buffalo, I had in that opinion, but they kind of step back when you look at the results as of late. I don't know how aggressive they'll be. But teams like the Blues can try to turn it around. They have the Cavs space now. Same with the Red Wings. Can they be the disruptors of the deadline? Like, I kind of hope so. I think it would be really fun. And I want to see what an accelerated retool looks like from a team like St. Louis and what we can learn from it because we've seen teams try this before. I think the Sabres are a good example of it. When they signed contracts like the Matt Molson deal and the Kyle Ocoso deal, and in the accelerated rebuild for them was signing big contracts, hoping they would be the players that would be worth that money. But they picked their own players in the first place, and those are the mid-tier players, and they never had like the you know, elite stars that should have been handed those contracts. So let's see if St. Louis can actually go for someone like Timo Meyer, actually go for someone like Jacob Chikrin. Like, how quickly can they make this all work? So I've been joking all show, Shayna, that the Zaitsev deal is clearing the decks for the Colton Pareko deal to Ottawa. Um, right. What's your, what's your immediate reaction to that possibility? Is that one of those like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. That's, That's the team. It's ex- exactly where my head went. Like, <laughs> last night when I saw that, I was like, I really wonder because – 
you know, we heard so much that they were in on Uyghur and then the Flames extended Uyghur. And it's not that he's not movable now, but it's a different conversation than before. And if they extended the player, you have to think that they want him unless they think a full-term Uyghur is more valuable than a rental, which, of course, there's that conversation. But for Pareko, it makes sense. Um, is Are the Senators this perfectly sustainable environment that he's going to thrive in? Probably not, but... I mean, it would be interesting. I could see them going for this kind of player and see what they can do. I think the Senators need a little bit more help than any players can get. I think they need some adjustments in their coaching, in their systems, and all of that. But they need the personnel as well. But immediately my head went to that. Like, could Pareko go there? That would really be something. And how much would they be willing to pay to make it happen? Shana Goldman, our guest of the Athletic and the Too Many Men podcast here on Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. And you brought up St. Louis as a team to watch ahead of the deadline. And we've heard after selling off some pieces that maybe they're a player for Timo Meyer. And, you know, we were talking a little bit earlier in the show. Timo Meyer is fascinating right now because he's not your typical rental, but he's also not signed to a long term. And the uncertainty and the big qualifying offer could be scary for teams, but it also creates all of these different possibilities uh, that that smart and creative teams can take advantage of with Timo Meyer. What what would your approach be if you were a contending team? Would that would the uh, the flexibility and the uncertainty excite you, or maybe scare you away from Timo Meyer a little bit? Um, the uncertainty is something I wouldn't even care about if there was a chance to get him on my team if I was a manager, I'd go for it because he's that good of a player. He is an elite forward. He is young. This is not your 28, 29, 30-year-old that you're going for. It is completely different. We don't see elite players on the board. We don't. It's not easy to get an elite player at the right point in their career unless you draft and develop them, which we know can be a nightmare for some. But with this you know, with this player, if you can legitimately add him to your team for this playoff run and you're not worried about him walking at the end of the year, which is the case with so many, you know, rentals and free agent, uh, I'm sorry, and deadline moves, mm-hmm. it, it, it's a completely different conversation. Like, you you can bring in someone who can help your team for years to come, and if it doesn't work out, you could probably flip him for the same amount that you acquired him for this summer. You have that option. I think that the qualifying offer is obviously going to scare teams away, but no one says he has to make $10 million. It would help if the Sharks open the door and let teams talk to him about contracts. I think that only helps their return because they can look at it as you're not getting him for just the playoff run. You're getting Timo Meyer for the next seven years, say, and just jack up the price. But, you know, until we hear what he's looking for, and that could be eight and a half or nine million by seven years, which he's worth, he's worth more than that, you know, why not? If, I think every general manager should be at minimum kicking the tires. Anytime there's a good player on the market, every general manager should be kicking the tires. That is the lowest tier of interest that you can have. We need, I swear, we need general manager tiers for you know levels of interest, and <laughs> everybody should be kicking the tires on him. Then you can start actually having conversations and truly pursuing you know as your full blown tier at you know after you kick the tires. Yeah, I think we've heard an even lower tier of interest when uh, hearing about JT Miller interest, which is teams talking about him <laughs> internally, which <laughs> that might be even lower than uh, than kicking the tires for NHL general managers. Uh, one of the other uh, notable names out there on the trade market not playing right now is Vladislav Gavrikov. Can you explain the apparent level of demand and the price that Columbus might be able to fetch for Gavrikov? 
general managers love depth defensemen. They love slow, steady defensemen, shot blockers, physical players, because everybody knows when you get to the postseason, you have to, for some reason, slow it down and bring that kind of player in. And I think Gavrikov is a better player than what we've seen in Columbus. I have a really hard time judging what he's done because we know the environment's been tough. We know that they have just had injury upon injury, and it's strained everybody in their you know lineup because players have been slotted out of position for where they've been. That's true for you know the Blue Jackets when they lose Wierenski to injury, and it puts more on Gavrikov. It's, you can go further back and say when they lost Seth Jones too that you know they never properly replaced him. So. You know, I will give him credit in that respect because I do think he's a better player than what we've seen. But I think that teams are going to massively overpay for this kind of player when there aren't that many on the market. And we hear it's the Shens and the Gavrikov this year when last year it was the Sharats of the world. Like, teams want that for the postseason. This is what they think they need. And it's going to be really interesting to see if a team does acquire him. Say it's a team like the Boston Bruins, you know, is is he going to make a difference? Is he going to be addition by addition is he going to be subtraction by addition like i really don't know but it'll be interesting because some teams it does feel like in recent years like the florida panthers feel that they have to change their game to win in the postseason and go our style of play isn't sustainable let's slow it down instead of actually playing to their strengths it's something i'm really curious about and i am working on something about the devils because i have this exact question so depending on what they do with the deadline is how this article is going to unfold in a week or two but it's it's going to be interesting to see, like, does a team that actually needs a defenseman go for him or does a team that feels they aren't the typical playoff-style team go for him because they feel that's what they need to win? Shayna, are there any good defensemen? I just I have this theory that there's no good defensemen. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they're good defensemen, but the best defensemen are the ones you don't, unless they are a roving defenseman, because that's a completely different story. Akhil McCarr is a rover, and Adam Fox is a rover. I don't even count them as defensemen. They are the play drivers from the blue line. They are like an extra forward out there when you need them to be in an extra defenseman. But your best defensemen, especially best depth defensemen, are players you don't notice. Because good defense is stopping something from happening in the first place. It's not looking super busy out there. Like you're running around blocking shots or, you know, running around chasing the puck. You look like you're trying very hard. That's great and wonderful for that player. But you're reacting to the play instead of stopping it in the first place. You didn't stop them at the blue line. Now you have to chase them. You couldn't take away the shooting angle or, you know, close the gap well enough that now you're throwing your body in front of it. Can a block shot be a good thing? Absolutely. It's not always a reactionary bad thing, and sometimes the player has legitimately no option. But the player that racks up the most blocks or something like that, which is what we so traditionally judge defensemen on, doesn't mean they're the best defensemen out there. They're just the most reactionary defensemen who probably weren't proactive in the first place. And I just want to be clear to our listeners. I mean, there's no good defensemen like there's no good tight ends in football. Like, obviously, Travis Kelsey is amazing. Obviously, Kale McCarr is amazing. Like, you know, I, it's, it's tongue-in-cheek, but... I just feel like there there's no good defensemen. defensemen out there. Uh, no, <laughs> there's no good defensemen. I just think that I just think there's no good defensemen. That's my it's my it's a take I'm workshopping. I was gonna say that's certainly a take. Eliminate them. Look, I'm here for it. I want to see. In, look, when you're trailing in the game and people try to dunk on the Maple Leafs, oh, Mitch Marner's playing back on defense. That is fantastic. I don't care. It doesn't need to be in the last two minutes of the game. If you're going to the third period and you're down by a goal or two. Throw an extra forward out there. They're probably more useful for you because they're going to push the pace of play. They're not thinking about defense only. If you're forcing a team to play defense because you have such a strong offense, you're forcing your opponent to play two-dimensional hockey instead of 
you know, simply play, playing offense and you're simply playing defense. You want to push the pace on them that they have to try to battle back against you and then start creating offense. So you're not just protecting your own net the entire time. You know, the Canucks used to do that under Willie Desjardins. Not not a name I often check is like, good innovation Will from Willie D. But uh, <laughs> but they used to do that under Willie Desjardins with the Sedin Twins, Verbata, Burroughs, and then usually Edler um, trailing late. Uh, it, was, it was kind of fun. There you go. Yeah, why not? Willie D ahead of his time. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> Shana, really appreciate it as always. That was great stuff. We'll talk again soon. Thanks for having me. That is Shana Goldman. You can read her at The Athletic and hear her on the Too Many Men podcast. And, of course, a great Twitter follow the best. as well. I'm, I'm going to hear about saying there's no good defenseman. Right? Yeah. I mean, you kind of walked it back by saying, well, of course, Kale McCarr. And then you immediately followed it up with, but also there's no good defenseman. <laughs> <laughs> but you know like obviously Mark Andrews and George Kittle and Travis Kelsey are sweet but it's just like the vast majority of defense the, the fall off is very quick yeah very very quick right more than anything it's why I think young guys like like to bring up the Maple Leafs okay I'm stunned but if, yes if you have if you have Lilligren Sandine Giordano and that guy whose name I always forget Timmins mm and they make five million combined, like pretty that's, good. That's killer. But you'd be better off having not done Morgan Riley at eight. Sure, you know, like for me, it's like build a bunch of guys. You almost want like eight guys who make who are like young and competent, bunch of bunch of good good players. But like you got to keep the prices down as opposed to wonder, doing the like. Wouldn't they be, have been better off reinvesting that eight million? I wonder if another interesting comparison is like relief pitching in baseball, right. where it's important. But good luck guessing who's going to be a good reliever from year to year, right? Like it's incredibly no, except, volatile. No, because defensemen are good year to year. We, we the goalies. You just said good. there's no good ones. No, no, no. But the, the defensemen that do <laughs> are like your Nick Jensen's. You're like reliable sure. top four guy. They are who they are. It's just impossible to tell. Like at the draft. Mm. You know, like it's impossible to tell at at seventeen who's gonna who's gonna work out. It's just it's really hard. Building a defense core is obviously really hard, and we've seen that in practice. Oh boy, Up close have we ever? Over like a decade now. <sighs> Riley Stillman playing a ton of minutes and then drawing out for Guillaume Brisebo is kind of interesting, right? Let's talk about it. On we'll the talk other about side. it on the other side. Or, we'll take or, a quick or break not. here. Or we uh, no, let's talk about it. I mean, what else are we gonna do? <laughs> What, what else are we doing with our lives, Drance? That's, right, well, that's, that's what we signed up we'll for. We'll play pod. glass half full, glass half empty when <laughs> that's what Riley we Stillman draws out of the lineup. Uh, there's a good question that came in, too, about the <laughs> 2026 first-round draft picks that I want to get into. I want to pitch this one past you. I think, oh, I think you'll enjoy it. No, you'll like it. Gavin you'll McKenna like it. talk no, 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 and no, no, Riley no. Stillman talk it's, on the other it's side. It's not Gavin McKenna talk, kind of, but you'll like it. Uh, we'll do that, plus uh, a little bit more about the game. It is Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650 on a Canucks game day. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Strands, live from the Kintech studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. As mentioned, game day for the Canucks. They'll take on the St. Louis Blues at 5 o'clock, you can hear it here all on Sportsnet 650. Batch and Randeep with the call. 
Sat and Riccio with the pregame show coming up in not too long. And uh, as you mentioned, as we talked about before the break, it looks like Riley Stillman will come out of the lineup. And so Canucks right now have eight D-men, eight healthy D-men on their NHL roster. But of course, Luke Shen, as we know, will miss another game. He's not with the team. He's in Vancouver awaiting to see what happens uh, with a potential trade. So you bring Stillman out, and that means your defenseman for tonight will be Quinn Hughes, Tyler Myers, Ethan Bear, Kyle Burrows, Christian Willannon, and the newly recalled Guillaume Brisebois, who, yes, is still with the organization. So Stillman out, Brisebois in. Is there anything more to this than let's mix in some guys? Let's get some guys, some NHL games. Well, Stillman's ice time has been spiking under Rick Tockett, but I wonder if there needed to be like accountability for, for the, the performance. way that the Myers-Stillman pair yeah. performed. I think it's that. that I think there's probably a large part of that. What, like, was Stillman worse than Myers? Nope. Nope. Would but, you like to see the accountability for Myers? Maybe. I don't know. I don't care. <laughs> um, the uh, the Breezebois thing though is interesting because the team does like him, right? Like they're, you know, it's not just that Breezebois survived in this <laughs> organization for so long. Like he's impressed another manager right like genuinely I think there's curiosity to see what Breezebois can do I thought he I thought his pace was a little off when he played earlier in the year like uh, but but they were playing Seattle and Seattle's made a lot of defensemen's mm. pace look off so maybe my maybe my opinion needs to be revisited just a little bit the thing about Breezebois is he kind of I think of him like um Mario in Mario Kart Okay. Right. Where it's like average at everything, <laughs> you know, like the the middle of the road character. Correct. He's like, you know, big enough that smaller guys. Yep. Yep. Uh, you know, he can he can bully him a little faster bit. Faster than the slowest people. But right. Faster much slower than, than the fastest. Faster ones. than Bowser, yeah, but not yeah. exactly a burner out there. Like that's he's kind of the Mario character. So you know, we'll see. Hey, there are worse descriptions. Hey, Mario wins a lot. <laughs> There you go. Oh, there's a go. great one of the oh, great winners. Of... Oh, the, the whole game is named after him. So there you go. <laughs> Nailing <laughs> Pretty good. And at the end of every game, he gets the girl. Like, I he's... think he's sleeping just fine at night, Trance. Yeah, All right. Totally. And he's got a sidekick <laughs> and a bizarro mirror image nemesis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very there's cool. a lot of good things. Yep. A lot of good things going on. Anyways, um, I had something I wanted. Oh, Guillaume Brisebois somehow still an RFA. Despite how long he's been around, still an RFA at the end of the year. So, as you said, has has impressed more uh, people, another regime for the Canucks, and could figure to stick around with the organization a little longer. Well, and that's going to be interesting. I mean, I would think he does stick around too, right? Like, clearly, this organization's got time for him. Uh, this audition probably matters a fair bit for him to make sure that he mm. gets that one, that other one last qualifying offer at least. So, you know, he's got some skin in the game. It's going to be really interesting to see how things shake out for the Canucks depth defense wise. Cause there's not a lot in Abbotsford. Right. And no. you know, like it, does jet Wu get qualified? Like it feels like the Canucks are going to have a pretty significant opportunity this summer to really redesign what their sort of system looks like. Like guys like Carson Focht, I wouldn't expect to get qualified Jet Wu borderline. You know, yeah. like there's a lot of guys they can move. Will Lockwood's going to be a UFA. We also saw, you know, one of the guys they signed uh, from the European free agency class, Philip Johansson. Does he come over? Uh, right? He'll come and, over. You know, so he's got to come over at his age. And you would think he'll come over. 
and you would expect more additions along those lines, yeah, whether it's from that category or the NCAA, well, to start trying to reshape that depth. And then right? the Lakaramaki thing could be interesting, not in terms of him joining the AHL, mm-hmm. but in terms of him maybe joining the Vancouver Giants. Maybe. Yeah. What? What? Why are you? I don't know. Hasn't the reporting on that been probably not happening? Uh, it's gone so poorly for him over in Sweden. That's I'm interesting curious to know if there's um, a, a sort of not change of mind, but a an, a view toward getting him over. To yeah, North if America. you're just looking for the fresh start you can right and hey a chance to build some confidence after a year where you probably desperately need some and the giants have had fabian lysel like that's a organization that's had a lot of um swedish players come through over the years so uh you know i I think there'd be some comfort level we'll we'll, I'll, i'll report this out a little further but i don't think it's um i don't think it's as remote a possibility as it seemed that's interesting four or five months ago and then so, you know, it's going to be pretty interesting to see what the Canucks do moving pieces around here and, and really sort of being thoughtful about how they be- begin to put their own stamp on this junior system. And, and look, maybe they'll acquire a player or two who fits within that uh, in the weeks ahead. Yeah. I, I mean, there's still opportunity, I think, to buy some assets um, before the deadline. And, you know, I, I really do think, like, our expectation should be that they find a way to do exactly that. I really do think that. They're in a really, they're in a good position. Like if you, no, 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 no. no. If you just look at it a bit much narrowly between now and the deadline, they're in a good position. They have an attractive asset in Luke Shen, and they have another attractive asset with a good uh, chunk of uh, salary cap space available. Like those are two good things to have. It is, but like if you consider it in the larger picture, and you start to stretch the goals to, oh man, if only we could move Besser and Garland. Yeah, then it's more difficult. Oh yeah, yeah. But if you zoom in just narrowly over the next eight days. And what you can realistically expect to accomplish, they're in a pretty good position. See, you, it's reasonable I, to expect positive outcomes I think between I now struggle, and the deadline. I think I struggle with that because I look at St. Louis and I just think, man, you know, <laughs> Ryan O'Reilly and Vladimir Tarasenko are like inferior as players at this stage of their careers, to Bo Horvat and, and Andre Kuzmenko. And coming out of this deadline now, the rain, the sorry, the Blues are going to have three first-rounders, two second-rounders next year. They've added additional picks in the third and fourth round already. You know, th- their defense is problematic in terms of its age and, and how long it's signed for, but, like, there's probably a route for them getting out of some of those deals that is not going to be available to the Canucks. And, you know, to me, it's like these two teams came into the year with playoff aspirations and some key expiring deals, and the Canucks, like, extended JT beforehand, extended Mm -hmm. Kuzmenko at the deadline, and the Blues are just, you know, a team that's been way better than the Canucks over the past decade and actually raised a cup is now on a path to out-accumulate them over the next couple of years. That, to me, is like... You know, that, no, that, I to get me, that. that to me is why I sort of shrug or, or almost wince when you're like, they're in a good position. It's like, oh, they could have been. Look, it all depends on how zoomed in you're getting, right? And yeah. I understand. I, I totally understand your reaction to say, well, hold on. We have to zoom out a little bit and consider the larger context that brought us here. Like, that's fair, right? But I do think there's a perspective where if you look at it just between now and the deadline and the assets they have to work with. There's reason to feel pretty good about it. Now, I think the other part of this conversation is, and some people have texted in this, and this is something we've talked about a lot as well, is it's one thing to get excited about what they could do, the possibilities, all the smart, creative things that are out there that they might consider. 
but you also kind of have to factor it through what we've seen from this organization over the last decade. And sometimes I think we maybe get a little ahead of ourselves thinking about all the ways they could weaponize their cap space when you also have to think about, are they actually going to follow through on that? Are they actually going to do that, even though the opportunity uh, is there for them? So I think that's part of the conversation as well. But again, in a vacuum, zoomed in, whatever caveats uh, you can apply, I do think they're in a pretty interesting position going into the deadline here. Uh, I wanted to run this past you. This, this uh, question came in from Alistair in Victoria. And we were, we were joking, half joking, but joking, about the, uh, the value of unprotected 2026 first-round picks. Uh, and he texted in, which team would be the best target for an unprotected 2026 first round pick? He says, I'm leaning towards the Washington Capitals. Ooh. That's Alidair's, Alistair's suggestion. Excuse me. Any I think of, that's a great question. Any end of window contender. I mean, Boston to me is still tasty. I So that's the, that's the, where you go immediately, right? It's kind of the teams that are really good now and are pushing their chips in and are set up for a fall. End of window contenders. But I also kind of think like, are we 100% sure Arizona is going to be out of this phase by then? <laughs> you know what I mean? I, like, are we 100% sure they're going to be better? Because they're bad a lot. I think they're going to be fine. I think they're going to be... I Like, they got Logan Cooley coming. They got, Like, next year, they'll add Cooley and Gunther. But, and know. potentially whoever they draft this year. And, and, and again, like, they're going to go into a deadline at one point, and they're going to be, like, in the race, and it's going to be like, yeah, let's go. Let's, we have so let's many, add some things. We have so many extra draft picks. Let's just have some fun. And they're going to be able to responsibly make, like, the big ad. Yeah. Uh, look, I agree. I think I think Arizona is going to be totally fine. Washington, uh, Boston. I, the I, other team that's kind of – I legitimately think we're going to be talking about, like, the upstart p- potential. Like, we're – we're going to get to that point where we're like picking them to be good year after year and they're not quite getting there Arizona. like that state yeah like mm. that that like Carolina New Jersey stage yeah, yeah, where yeah. you're like exiting a rebuild but just not quite right you still have like one fl- fundamental flaw or like your team still doesn't quite know how to win you know you're in that stage i think both the coyotes and the ducks are going to be there in the next 18 months like I don't think we're far out from being like oh those teams are are coming and they're going to be problems and rager Texan on the ice they'll be fine but it's everything else and that's always the question with Arizona Correct. does the extraneous stuff get in the way from the the draft pick hall and the prospect hall and all of that it's right? a very very good point um the other team that jumped to mind for me and again this is trying to think beyond the because as you say look the obvious thing is end of window contenders who are mortgaging the future to a certain extent right now if we're trying to look beyond that at teams that could potentially bottom out by that time, is Philly going to get their act together, right? Or are they going to be, you know, two years into this actual absolutely dreadful cycle? Like, that's a team where they've shown a complete unwillingness to read the signs about where they actually stand in the NHL right now. They've shown an unwillingness to do the, the tear it down and rebuild. They've shown an unwillingness to make the moves that would help them have You're that salary cap flexibility. I know, right? But no, the Flyers. There's so many similarities. I know. So they're the same team. You look at it and say, well, you know, they'll they'll have bottomed out and be on the upswing by then. Will they though? No. Or will they still be at the bottom of the standings? Oh boy. Um man. We have a lot of people texting in that they would pick the Canucks as well, by the way. Austin and Langley, you know a team that might be gearing up for a big playoff run but might move the 2026 pick? Maybe the Canucks. <laughs> yeah. I, look, for me it's for me it's like Boston Boston, New York, Washington, um Vegas. Vegas would be up there. 
the New York Islanders would be up there, right? Like end of window contenders, mm. aging groups. That those are those are the teams. Those are the teams to bet against for sure. Um, yeah, the and then the Canucks thing. Just like the unwillingness to tear it down, the unwilling let's 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 call it what it is at some point. Like it's just an unwillingness to do what needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and as I said with the Flyers, like an unwillingness to recognize where you are, to be mm-hmm. honest about where you are. Right. That's what it comes down to well, more than anything else. Well, and and I'll add this: a failure to evaluate yourself. Yeah. Right. And that to me is always, and I said I've said this a million times, but it's still true. If you can't evaluate your own team, there's no hope that you're going to be able to win trades or or draft the right guys. So there, how can you evaluate anyone else if you can't, if you don't have the best grasp of who you are as a team? Like that's task one, and that's what sort of scares me a little bit, just from a like process examination standpoint about how this Alvin Rutherford axis has behaved in their first cycle. Is they it, clearly they didn't have an understanding, despite what they said about mm. the team of just how far away this group was, right? Because you can't square their moves, the moves they made with having a good grasp of just how tough this season could get, just how reliant this team was on Thatcher Demko, just how inadequate this defense group was, right? And that to me, it's like, so do we have a better handle now? Right? Because let's, here's one thing I want to end with this because right. I'm glass half empty guy, even though I was glass half full <laughs> guy. Are we talking enough about what the Canucks are wasting with in, Elias Pettersson? In terms of the season Pettersson is having. I don't know that we are. He's been so good. He's been absolutely phenomenal. And I even saw at, um, at ESPN, they're doing like, they're polling players and executives about best player at each position. And they did centers today, and I think Elias Pettersson ended up coming in like just outside the top 10 at like 13 or something, right? And you look, and there's guys who are a little bit older, guys who could be out of the league soon, and you could easily see him moving up to the top 10. And I think you could make the case that based on just performance this year, yeah, he's they've already right been now. in the top 10. Yeah, That's an incredible asset, an incredible asset to have. And, and when I say asset, obviously, you know, we think about draft picks and cap space as assets, but just a guy who's giving you this enormous value night in night out to the point where even when you're playing some truly atrocious defense, as you've made the point, there are some games where he just wins the game for you. Where like single-handedly almost, he goes out and dominates every shift to the point where you end up with two points. Having that type of player, every team dreams about it. That's that's what you're looking for. And you're right. It's gonna it it's happening. His best season for me as a pro is gonna happen in a year where the Canucks are kind of tanking down the stretch. That's really disappointing. Where the Canucks are not close. Right, so put it this way: on the season with Pedersen on the ice, right? And this isn't fancy stats. This is goals. I actually I got into a, I went to courtside yesterday, the new basketball bar on. Oh Maine, yeah, and I'm sitting there, and uh, some nice people said hi uh, at the bar, and we ended up uh, watching the end of the Florida game, and they tailed a bet of mine that lost. So I'm sorry, but at one point, at one point, um, you know, I, I was bringing up, we we're talking Connor Garland. And I was like, look, at the end of the day, the thing I can't get over with Connor Garland is if you look at it over the last two seasons, like the Canucks have outscored their opponents by a wider margin with Garland on the ice than they have with anyone else. And it's not like he's always been playing with Pedersen. In fact, mm, he rarely, plays rarely, with very rarely. Uh, it's not like he's always been playing with like, he's often been centered by Sheldon Dries. Yeah. You know, but it's like for whatever reason, with Garland on the ice, the Canucks outscore their opponents, and the goals for margins like sixty percent. 
right? And I'm like, I, and the guy says to me, look, I'm not a fancy stats guy. And I'm like, so you don't look at the score? <laughs> like, these are goals. Goals. I'm not talking anything but goals. Anyway, it was a fun, uh, fun interaction. Uh, turns out I'm like this in real life. <laughs> so, sorry, to get back to Pedersen. With Pedersen on the ice, the Canucks have outscored their opponents by nine goals. Or, sorry, it's 51 goals, 444 against. So, my math skills are terrible. See, not a fancy stats guy myself. By seven goals. Okay? In all other minutes, Vancouver is minus 30 on the season five on five. There is, like, Bo Horvat came out roughly even this year, but, like, that that gap is so massive that it's really hard for me to, like, understand, like, how do you get 30 goals better in your non-Pedersen minutes? Cause you, and, and by the way, you don't need to like be demolishing opponents in your non-Patterson minutes. No. But you at least need to hold the fort for the guy so that he has a chance to win every game for you as opposed to only being able to drive the sort of outcomes you need to do it you know, once every five, right? This team needs so much work. And Patterson's like, it, there's a chance this is the best season we'll ever get from him. And that's not... A negative take, that's an appreciation of just how special what we should be enjoying on a nightly basis is. And it's, like, futile. Like well, for the, and it's for just the most another... part, he's contributing to, like, the 4-3 the goal that, you know, yeah. halves the opponent's lead. It, it's another level of frustration. There's so many reasons to be frustrated with how the last few years have gone, with how this year has gone for the Canucks. But the fact that he's having this season in games that don't mean anything, right? The games that don't have a chance to mean anything, I think is another one that fans should be very, very frustrated about. You would love to see how these performances would translate to the playoffs, right? To those big games down the stretch. That would be phenomenal, and we're just not going to get the chance. Or how about this? The Canucks have outscored their opponents with Pedersen on the ice by seven, and his on-ice save percentage. So with Pedersen on the ice, the Canucks goaltenders have stopped 8-7-8. Whew. Save percentage. At five on five, man. That's tough. Like, legitimately, if he just had 900 goaltending, we're talking about a guy with, you know, a plus 15 on-ice goal differential. At least. Maybe more. Yeah. And with in-prime Demko, like, or informed Demko, man, you're cooking. It's, it's really, it's really unfortunate. And, you know, after years in this market of being like, well, Edmonton's wasting McDavid, and I've said that myself, and on and on, like... Don't we have to sort of contend with or grapple with what we're seeing in our own backyard here? Well, that's the, this is becoming a real shame. That's the big fear, right? That's the big concern with where this is going is that you have the thing that's most difficult to find, which is a guy at the top of your lineup playing like this and who projects to, as you said, look, maybe this is the high watermark, but even if there's a little bit of regression, it's still a phenomenal player. Like he projects to still be an absolute stud for years to come. He is at the moment, right? Yeah. It's not as if when you. I, no, I, just no, no, be, I just want to clarify that when you say this could be the career year, it's not as if the drop off is going to be extraordinary next year or anything like that, right? Like a career, he, he could decline but still be really, really good. Well, I'm just saying, like, you know, at this point, um, like at this point, what he's gonna he's on pace for a hundred points. Yeah. You know, I mean, how many seasons better? Like we're talking about. No, him. no, no. I, I'm not. I, I just want to clarify that that like you can decline from this and still be really good. That's how good he is. Sure. Right but now, I, right. I, I'm just saying there's six or sorry seven, right? Yeah. Seven 
100-point seasons in Canucks history. And and we're probably going to get an eighth this year from Elias Pettersson, and the Canucks are going to be out of the playoffs by how much? Yeah, it's 30? It's not ideal. Like, they got one point yesterday, so what? They can max out at 99 points now? Now, if they win out from this point on. What a story that would be. Um, <laughs> we got to get out of here. Anything can happen. <laughs> we got to get out of here. Enjoy the game tonight. We'll be back tomorrow. Canucks talk on Sportsnet 650.